This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. Times best-selling and award-winning author of Kick-Ass International Thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. Taylor, we talked about BoucherCon last week, and the reason that uh, you and I did not get to finally meet face-to-face at BoucherCon was because I had to be in Las Vegas for uh, a meeting. I and know. We, we talked so about sad. what I did on the plane on the way out and the way back, which was I took a printed copy of my manuscript and was using a red pen to make changes. And so I sat in my chair or I sat in my seat in the plane. I, I went out with a friend. I took the aisle seat. He took the window seat. And there was someone in the middle. And so we had it's probably like a three and a half hour flight. And we get off, and I could see the person in the middle just looking over, like, at what I was doing every so often. And I had no idea whether he was reading or paying attention or whatever. And, and you know, it, if you've ever gotten uh, a manuscript back with red ink, there aren't very many pages that don't have any red ink on it. So Correct. mine is riddled with red ink. But we got all done, and I stood up, put the manuscript in my briefcase, and the guy said, you know, on this one page that started with this line, there was the word two was missing in that sentence. And I. <laughs> oh, my God, I would die. <laughs> Not and, because the word two was missing, but because somebody was reading my stuff. Well, and he'd seen the 108,000 things that I'd circled and made comments on. But somehow he wanted to show how smart he was by plucking this one thing out and showing me that I had missed a that I had missed a missing two. My cheeks are flushed on your behalf. <laughs> like, you know, that, that embarrassment, my cheeks are literally flushed right now. That's hilarious. I got a, I got a big kick out of it. And um, I, I, I thought, well, this will be fodder for a, uh, for a podcast sometime. <laughs> yes. It, this is not, you know, this is not our topic today, but no. it, it's just the chit chat. Before we move into the topic, though, I did want to say that um, I'm starting to see reviews for Liar's Paradox come in now. And these are the early reads, like they get sent out to uh, authors and reviewers. And there was recently um, Publishers Weekly, I think it was, reviewed it, which Publishers Weekly is a trade magazine. So it really affects more like libraries and um, you know, industry things. It's not really meant for the general public, but sometimes those uh, comments, reviews get pulled in like um, as a description for the book and, and such. And so just getting reviewed in those is always a challenge because there's way more books and there is space to review. And then there's the cat, the thing of, you know, are they actually even going to get the book? Because you don't, it's hit or miss who's going to be reviewing it. And, you know, maybe they just don't like your style of writing or whatever. But it was a pretty good review. The authors who've read it so far have had really nice things to say about it. And every, I mean, I've said before how nervous I am about this book because it is so different. It's different from anything I've done. It's so different from anything that's out there. And I'm just, it's as the readers, the not the reviewers, not the professional people, the, 
the readers get their hands on it, I'm just so nervous. I'm so nervous, Steve. So, yeah. But at least these good ones, the these good early reviews are helping me like, okay, okay, okay. This is not going to be horrible. I so did, I did see something that you shared on Facebook from Alison Brennan, who I just love. And it was it was this glowing blurb type review, but you could tell that she'd actually read the book, and uh, oh, it was yeah. really cool. And she's been so supportive. She actually contacted me and said, "If there's anything I can do to help you." So I think we're gonna do um, maybe a Q and A or an interview or two together. That's gonna go out closer to release date. And I have quite a few other amazing quotes from authors, and I want to share them. I just don't want to do them all at once because that that's just too much it's too much <laughs> and it, it people are like okay 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 stop already so i'm trying not to annoy people but yeah i've got some other really great things to share and i just have to do it slowly over time so you you mentioned how different this book is and how it's not like anything out there and this is like the opposite of our show today because we're, we're going to we're going to get started where we left off last week with like big picture trope type kinds of things that happen in in books Last week where we left off, um, we had spoken about the different types of cliches and tropes and whatnot, and we left off with the, the big ones, like somebody needs information and they have one person who can help solve their problem and they finally meet that person and then that something happens and the person ends up dead or kidnapped or whatever before they're able to get the information that they need. And that for me is like one of my big just, oh, my God, please don't make this happen because it's cheating. It's if it's one of those convenient things where without that, the rest of the story wouldn't happen. And there are other ways to make that excitement happen. And that's where craft and skill and really thinking through the story comes from. And then there was the one of, you know, the one last job you know, get your good, turn your good bad guy into a good guy or whatever. And that's kind of a character thing um, where, you know, we want to root for this person, but it's really hard to root for them when they've done all these bad things. So he's trying to clean up his life and da, 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 da. okay. So I want to talk about how to avoid those. And I, you know, we can't, those are just two. There's, there's probably hundreds of them. And those are just the two that are fresh in my mind. So part of the problem with writing around those is you have to be aware of them to begin with. And if you're someone like me, who's a really big dummy when it comes to pop culture, then you might write those thinking that you're being creative and uh, not doing something that's been done a thousand times because you, you have no way of knowing. And so I think that's where when they talk about if you want to be a strong writer, you need to read a lot and write a lot. Well, that's where the read a lot part comes from. And not everybody has that benefit. I didn't have that benefit. So this advice really is for those who, who do have that benefit. But the, the number one thing I would say is if you saw it in a movie, don't do it. <laughs> that or, is so obvious. Well, it's but, not But good. Really it's it's because, a really good point. Because... A lot of people get their understanding of a situation by what they see in movies or by what they see in the media. And you would think media news isn't news a good source to get your information. And well, it can be. But if you happen to be an expert in a particular field 
how many times have you read the news article going, oh, can't believe they got that so wrong? And yet, when you read something in an area that you're not an expert, you just automatically assume they got it all right. Hmm. So I didn't make that up. That was, I, that was something that I've read from different research and things that's hmm. been done about how we learn the world. So let's say you have an idea and it has been done before. You've seen it in a movie or whatever. Well, that doesn't mean you can't write the idea. What you do is you go learn more about that subject. You go research it, not with a single news article, but with you find in, in the Internet. I, I don't know how authors did it before the Internet, because you have all the knowledge that's ever been put out there and all of history at your fingertips in this little device, even a phone. Right. So rather than write what you think, you know, challenge your assumptions. And it's gotten to the point now for me that I don't know if there's hardly any assumption that doesn't get challenged. Uh, I, I wrote about this on a, I was either a Patreon blog or a post on Facebook or somewhere where I talked about how I had a scene where a character was in a, um, an airplane and I realized I didn't know what those markers on the runway were called or even what they were for. So rather than use the wrong word or describe them in a way that wouldn't be accurate, I went and wasted 20 minutes learning more about runway maps than I ever needed to know. But now I know. And it filled in gaps in my own ignorance. And it will keep me from uh, saying something stupid in the future. Um, another one, uh, when I was very first starting out, writing The Informationist, uh, or maybe it was one of the second or third books, uh, I needed something in my mind. There was some way that Monroe could get the characters in the room knocked out without, like through using a sleeping gas or something like that. And I was going to write that scene, and then I was like, wait a minute. You know, because I've seen it in movies, so obviously it must be real. So I go and I check it out, and apparently no such thing actually exists. So, I mean, unless you want to kill him, you know, carbon monoxide or whatever. So I, you know, that changed that. But if I hadn't gone and looked it up, I would have put something completely stupid into the book. Um, another one that you see... This you see in the movies all the time, and it drives me bonkers because no author would ever be able to get away with it, is the way that assassins just seem to always have guns. It doesn't matter if they just got off an international flight. It doesn't matter if, you know, they're in a country where guns are super hard to come by. They just, they always seem to be able to contact the person that they need to contact. They always have a supplier. They always have a, and no explanation is needed because movies are a visual storytelling mechanism and the audience just goes along with it because. And if you try and outline how they got their weapons or whatever, it turns into, you know, a 10 hour saga on screen. They don't have time for that. But in books, you have to, you have to make, you have to explain these, these little things, even if it's just a sentence here or there, which means you have to think it through, which means you have to do your research. And so that is how you write around these big story tropes is you, ch you check your, you check your biases, you check your understandings, you check your assumptions. And one of the glorious things about checking your assumptions is often it will lead you 
down a different path and you will learn something that you know. And chances are you're going to learn something that a lot of readers don't know. And that will make you very clever. When you introduce material into storylines that most people don't know, they think the story is brilliant because they are learning something. So that is the benefit of avoiding the tropes, challenging your assumptions, is not only do you not make your story dumb, you actually make it a lot of fun for the reader. Let's let's take some examples. And let's last week in in the show, you threw out some some cliche cl- cliched cliches, so to speak. The hooker with the heart of gold, the alcoholic cop. Let's take those as as examples and think of different ways to sort of turn them on their heads to make them more interesting. So uh, first, let's just let's do the the hooker with the heart of gold. Okay, so always when we come up with these types of questions, is what's your genre? You know, because genre determines everything, you know? So to make this easy, let's say we're still in the suspense, thriller, mystery sort of genre. Um, The way that my mind works is always digs down as to who is this person? Where did they come from? Why do they feel these things? So you can, we live in a very cliched black and white world. Um, (laughs) We tend to think, uh, on the extremes of the continuum, evil versus good, black versus white. But humans are just this this muddle of gray. And Americans in particular tend to really like the um, the very clear-cut good, good guy, bad guy type scenario in thrillers, which can make what I write maybe not as... Uh, appealing to or commercial as some of the, you know, oh, we're going to get those terrorists and, you know, there's going to be a nuclear bomb and and those types of books. But I, I don't think in black and white, generally speaking. And so it's hard for me to write those stereotypes. So for me, I would look at the hooker of the heart of gold and go, well, we're going to get rid of that heart of gold first, because nobody is all good. And her being a hooker doesn't make her bad. It, it was it. So the question now becomes, was this a life choice? Like where she specifically wanted to do sex work for a living and, and she's all in on it because good for her. You know, my, my views on it are if men can beat themselves bloody to a pulp and boxing and whatever, why can't a woman do what she wants with her body? That's just kind of, you know, the way that I look at it. So I'm like, all right, did, did she hear of her own free will? If she had all the options in the world, would she still be doing this or is she doing it for a specific reason where, you know, did she grow up on the streets? Is she addicted to drugs? Is, did somebody force her into this? All of these different variants of who the character is are going to affect that character. So knowing the character is critical to me in getting rid of the heart of gold and making them a real person. So let's say this individual Um, is there of her own free will. This is, she just, this is a job she wants. She gets paid really well for it. She actually likes a lot of her customers, clients. And, um, you know, she probably has a very jaded view of society and the law because they, everybody frowns on what she does. They want to throw her in prison for what she does. And she has to be very secretive about what she does. So that's going to right there be her worldview. 
Now, let's say she comes across a cop who has had his whole mission. Uh, he worked in the vice squad. And let's say that cop in particular was, you know, responsible for arresting some of her friends. Well, she's going to have a very antagonistic relationship with that cop. Now, let's say they have to work together for something, solve a murder or whatever. Right there, you've gotten rid of the stripper with the heart of gold. She's obviously a good person because, you know, that she's she's not out there trying to hurt people, whatever. She just happens to be doing a thing that society doesn't approve of. And the good guy in this situation, the cop, is someone that she can't stand because she thinks that he's an awful, what he does is awful to her and her friends. So now you have gotten rid of the cop stereotype and you've gotten rid of the hooker stereotype and they've got to work together and you've got this amazing, explosive uh, interaction between foes who have to learn to get work together and not cliche fall in love or not cliche end up in bed together because that would just ruin it as far as like avoiding tropes. That's what I would do. And then I'm like, okay, that's that particular story. Now let's look at the other one. Let's say we've got a, uh, someone who's on the streets, uh, not of her own free will or not even on the streets, but you know, just working, working the trade, not of her own free will. Well, she's going to have a completely different jaded view of the world. She's going to, she might be a lot more broken. She might maybe um, have a lot more trauma in her life and a lot more fear. And so how would she then behave if she was thrown into that same situation? She would not only be afraid of the cop, she'd be afraid of the people that are in her life who are either trying to get her, you know, on drugs or trying to, you know, where's my money? Or maybe she's got clients that are not the best clients. She can't stand them either. Totally different story because totally different background. And so to me, the, the solution to avoid the cliches is know your character, know where they come from, know why they make the decisions that they make. And you can totally do the cliche, but upend, upend it so that it doesn't feel like the same old thing over and over again. As you were talking the first time in, in your your first example with the hooker of the heart of gold, I was I was running through um, things that I had read and different examples, and all of a sudden it occurred to me that I had read a story where there was a character who was a hooker with a heart of gold, and I never realized it until you were talking about how how you could flip that on its head. This was a uh, a character who early on in a series. Uh, became involved in a murder and was helping a police detective, and it, the hooker was a guy. And nice, yeah. So that twisted on its head, and he was more than willing to help. He didn't hate the police. He just, you know, it was just a, a complete flip flop of what you would expect. And in my own mind, I didn't see it as the hooker with a heart of gold, but that's exactly what it was. Brilliant. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. All right, let's do the alcoholic cop. Okay. This one is harder <laughs> for me just because there's so many of them um, in, in the stories. So um, you've got a cop. He's an alcoholic. You, there's always you go back to why is he this way? Um, maybe he was an alcoholic before he ever joined the force, and he's just been able to keep it under wraps and it's his big sin and it's his big secret and nobody knows that he is he's got issues and everybody thinks that he's this really awesome guy and he is an awesome guy but because he's got this secret he feels like trash um he's got he, he carries a lot of shame and that right there would turn the trope on its head 
Um, let's say you have an alcoholic cop who comes from an alcoholic family and he hates the alcoholic dependency and has tried multiple times to not be an alcoholic and he doesn't feel that he has a reason to be like, he looks at other people who are alcoholics from being broken or from, you know, stress or whatever. And he's had a really good life. He just liked to drink too much and he doesn't want to get rid of it. That turns the trope on its head. Mm -hmm. So you're just looking for situations that um, you're not the same, you know, my partner died and I feel responsible and now I'm drowning myself to death type thing. Um, Variants on that. Uh, This is a form of self-medication and it's better than, you know, at least I don't feel drugged out like if I'm on opiates or, you know, you give them the reasons for it. Give them, give them something more than just that's their defining characteristic. Is it enough to just turn a part of it, part of it on its head? And I'm, I'm going to give an example. I I read a police procedural series that takes place in the West. There are uh it's a male and female who are partners, uh they're detectives, and the male is the straight arrow and the woman is the alcoholic cop, which is so it's a little bit of a, a twist because it's normally not a woman who's the alcohol alcoholic cop. And but everything else is pretty much spot on the traditional alcoholic cop, self-loathing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it worked for me because it was the woman and the guy was such a straight arrow and their relationship was complex enough and interesting enough that it made it all work. Is that, is that enough in your mind? My opinion is just one opinion. Um, if, it, if it's working for the readers, then the answer is yes. For me, myself, I probably wouldn't feel it would be enough for my characters just because I feel that in that particular instance, now I haven't read the books, I, I don't know what the, um, what the interaction is like, what the backstories are like, so I'm, I'm speaking from ignorance. But I feel that oftentimes just replacing the male trope with a female trope can sometimes come across as very sexist in its own way, mm-hmm. where because society has double standards for men and women, um, where you know a man can go into a rage and everybody's like, okay, that's just him, you know, whatever. If a woman does the same thing, she's you know she's a loose cannon, she's off a rocker, she's unstable, mentally unhinged. Um, so to just only reverse that without the support underneath it to give it life, which obviously what you read must have had more than just a reversal to make it work, because you can create a very unlikable character by only reversing it just because of the way society has this double standard. And then because of that, it becomes sexist. So... It's one of those things where just changing one thing, to my mind, isn't enough. It has to go back to who is this character, what made them what the way they are, how do they relate to this issue in their own head, what are the lies they tell themselves, what are the lies that people see through that 
they don't know are being seen through. All those types of things can take exactly the scenario that you just described and ramp it up even more. But obviously the story that you read, it worked. So why go through all that extra effort? I'm just saying for me, as mm -hmm. I do it, it I, I wouldn't feel that it was okay. But again, I'm speaking from ignorance because I haven't read those books and I don't actually know what other undercurrents are there to support that shift. Okay, uh, another question. Uh, same, same alcoholic cop situation. I read another series where this was an alcoholic PI, but they amped up the alcoholism to a point where this, the woman who was the main character was no longer drinking and using drugs, but it was so realistically done that it made it really interesting because the reader would feel like they're learning something about what it's like to be a person like that. Well, that's brilliant because that is more than just altering the characteristic and putting a dress on it. It's creating a real living, breathing person who has the struggles of a real living, breathing person. And in that case, you're not just dressing it up. You're, you're giving the character its own unique take on its own life. Okay, good. And it's interesting. We, I, I mentioned these two completely different series. One series, the second one was traditionally published and was very successful and won some awards. The first series, there were some missteps in the early books, and the, the series has never really found the audience that I think it deserves. I think if the second book were rewritten a lot, it, it could do better. But it, it is, the, that whole series is really almost offensively sexist. And I'm a guy, and, and this thing, the series was written by a guy, and it's like, ugh, I don't think I could, I would feel like I could get away with writing stuff like that. Interesting. See, I didn't know any of that. Like I said, I was speaking from ignorance, mm -hmm. so it's, it's kind of fascinating to me that it, there's something there. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, like, but what works for me in that series is the interaction between the two main characters. It's that part really really works because the straight arrow guy is so straight arrow. He's married. He's got beautiful kids. His wife is beautiful. He's smart. He rarely missteps. He's, he is uh, Captain America, essentially. And, and the woman who is his boss is a train wreck. And so their, their dynamic is interesting and her self-loathing is interesting, but some of it is, is just a little bit too much. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. It sounds like there's a good. It's it's got a lot going for it. I like anyway. I like it, and um, it's it's one of those things where it's like, why can't you write faster? Come on, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I only say that because he's an indie writer, and I know that traditionally published authors are forbidden from writing faster. No, forbidden. <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> not forbidden. <laughs> Okay. Is, uh, have we covered it? Well, I've covered as much of it as I can unless somebody throws some questions my way. So if our audience and our listeners have more questions on this, I would love to tackle more of it. But unless somebody throws questions my way, I think I've 
exhausted mind. Yeah, or more or more examples uh, mm-hmm. that that you'd like to hear how to spin them around because I find that endlessly fascinating. The idea of just taking something and and going all the way back to what we talked about in the first show where. Um, dark and darker or black and blacker, whatever it was that was in the first chapter of the new, of, of the upcoming Jack and Jill book, Liar's Paradox. And the way that just stood out as a reader, just taking what could be the cliched sentence and twisting it a little bit to make it interesting. And it seems like you can do a lot with this and it's fun to just see examples of it. Yeah. Um, these are the types of things like I'll come across when I'm reading them and I just don't, I don't ever stop and go, oh, let me highlight that out and copy it into this 180 second file I have of things that I'm <laughs> keeping. And so I forget and ugh, those would be really fun to collect. And so, yeah, if, I don't know. We don't really have a mechanism to create a like a, a Google Doc or something that people can add their own, but it would be fun to see examples. Actually, I do this stuff with my Kindle. I highlight lines like that, and then Amazon stores all these things in a single file, and every so often Ooh. I just go back and look through that file, and it's like digging through a treasure chest. Ooh, that sounds like a lot of fun. Maybe it's you fun. would like to share that with us. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that is it for this week's show. We will be back in your ear next Tuesday. Yes, we will. Thanks for sticking with us, guys. 